And now, the Sleephawk Worldwide Podcast. Here are your hosts, Brandon Staten and Tyler Hansbro. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Sleephawk Worldwide Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Brandon, alongside uh, the Big Hawk. What's up, everybody? This is the Big Dog. Uh, we got a great podcast. Uh, for you guys tonight, all the uh, SHWW nation. Big Hawk, dude, I'm so excited about this one because the guy we've got here today is not necessarily a household name, but he should be. Anybody that knows him uh, knows this guy is just a legend uh, at Chapel Hill. He's a legend on the golf course. He's a legend at every country club he's ever walked on. Uh, and he's this great guy. And he's Ryan Balkum. What's up, Ryan? What's up, guys? Hey, longtime listener, first time caller. You know, happy to be here. <laughs> Man, I just want to start out by saying, dude, how much we appreciate you coming on. We're uh, obviously getting started with all this stuff here. But, man, dude, from from my, my college days for a long time, man, you're a guy that I'm so glad to catch up with in this format, man, because uh, we've got, as I'm sure you will tell our listeners, some great stories to share. Uh, man, you're always one of my favorite people to hang with for a number of reasons, and it's just really fun and cool uh, to have you on, man. I'm excited about it. Glad to be here, man. Yeah, so me and Balkum, um, I used to run into him a lot in the bars, and so we got a lot of friends that are friends, so that's how I know him. And uh, just a great guy, really nice, and glad uh, he's on. Um, I know we've been talking a lot of golf lately, and uh, he's actually been part of the UNC football program, uh, long snapper, then uh, has been a caddy uh, in golf, and he's got a lot of interesting stories, so I'm really looking forward to this one. Yeah, just a little bit of background on my man, Balks here, our Balks uh, dude. So he was uh, – you were the holder for Connor Barth too, right? That was one of your roles oh, yeah. on special teams. So oh, that's yeah. just a cool – man, I'm going to get into that because I, I, I've met Connor a couple times through you. I haven't talked to him in a long time, but he's an interesting guy. You've been a caddy on the PGA Tour. Uh, which is also and dude, I mean, I don't know how the hell you ain't playing on the PGA Tour. I played golf with you. I've never seen somebody hit a three wood far as this guy, um, uh, except maybe the uh, I've seen the big hawk over here maybe throw a three wood pretty far. But uh, yeah, man. So anyway, what you been up to these days, man? What are you doing these days? Uh, well, you know, I got out of the caddy game back in 2017. Uh, my last loop, we'll talk about it a little later, was uh, at Pebble Beach. So that was a pretty good spot to go out. Um, but now doing medical device sales, been doing that for three and a half years here in Charlotte. Um, you know, just trying to stay safe with the COVID and, yeah. uh, you know, just knocking all that stuff out. How do you think, what do you feel about the football team this year, man? I mean, we've lost two games that I just can't believe we've lost. You know, we got, we got ND on Friday, got a chance to knock them. They just got, I just got alert on my phone that they're in the top four uh, college football playoff. They won't be after Friday. That's my opinion. But uh, I'm curious to see from someone that's been there on, on the field on, on some, uh, on some pretty good teams, I think maybe y'all all right. Um, yeah, we were, uh, we were not great when I was there, uh, but that was the tipping point. That was, uh, that was when BMFD came in for his first year was my last year. That's right. Uh, so we were four and eight, not great, but we lost, uh, like five games by less than seven points. Yeah. So we knew that we were starting to get better. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so that kind of started that. And then with Coach Brown, man, it's it's just nice to have him back. He's getting a lot of a lot of studs in there. And 
they're playing playing pretty good, but you know, it's one of those things where I feel like the stove is is hot, and then sometimes I think it's not hot. Yeah. So then I touch it and then I get burned again. That's kind of <laughs> how I am with Carolina football at times where it's like we we win the games we probably shouldn't. And then we lose some that we should just like blow people out. So that's yeah. that's the frustrating part. But, you know, this weekend, I think we got a good chance uh, or this Friday got a good chance to go out there and, uh, you know, show share by on national television what we're about. Yeah, I think I agree with you. And I don't know a damn thing about football. Uh, I didn't I didn't know what a long snapper was until uh, <laughs> To be honest, you told, he thought I was a you told me you're a long snapper. And uh, also, I would say this about Carolina football is we got hungry fans that are ready to be good. Seems like ever since I was in college, you know, we've been waiting to be good, waiting to be good. It's always going to be this year, going to be this year. But Max brought in enthusiasm that I've never seen with Carolina fans. But, hey, can you tell me what in the hell does a long snapper do besides well, snap it, long? It, it, it's, it's, it's great that you said that, that you didn't know. Uh, what a long snapper was because that's how we always judged ourselves. If nobody knew our name, that means we're doing a good job. We're staying out of the paper. Because if you're a long snapper and your name's in the paper, you probably had a bad snap. <laughs> so uh, we snapped on punts. I did punt uh, snaps when I was uh, in school. So I, I snapped Terrence Brown and then uh, Mike Murphy, AKA Roch, Mike Roch, he uh, snapped on field goals and extra points. So then I held for Connor. Okay. So, um, so like, how do you get into that, man? Like, uh, is you just got to have, I feel like you got to have at least a three, five GPA to be the long. <laughs> I, I want to say one other thing though is Balkan, when I look at you, I don't think like a, a big lineman. I remember in school, like they had this guy named tank was, was huge. And then Chaco's, which was as big as a big as a Dean dome. But how do you, like, I don't look at you like what, why aren't you as big as those guys and as long snapper, just something where you don't need to be massive. Well, it's funny because long snappers, kind of right around the time when I was in school is when like Nick Saban actually offered a guy a scholarship as a long snapper. So it, it got to be one of these like specialized positions. And I know it's, we're part of the specialists, um, but it would be guys that are like ex tight ends or maybe played quarterback in high school or whatever that kind of bulked up a little bit. Obviously you see me didn't bulk up that much. And, uh, I remember you, Johnny, just, I remember you back in the day, bro. Well, you know, you I know had no neck and long hair. You remember this yeah, I was off the juice, lettuce. yeah. This guy looked like a WWE wrestler with that hair, bro. Like, it was like, that was my favorite thing, is you could see this dude flying down the field on special teams, just look like, like, like uh, flying Brian out there. Yeah, I mean, the lettuce was, it, it was a long time in the making. It was great. Uh, you know, honestly, whenever I was, uh, going through airports as a caddy and my passport was taken my senior year during like full lettuce. Oh my. I don't know how I didn't get pulled over many a time by TSA to think I was a terrorist. Like that's how bad it looked. <laughs> uh, no neck, Dude. no neck, anything. I mean, it was it, looking back at it. It was just absolute, just rancid. For the people that don't let that, that don't know you that are listening, man, I, it's hard to it's hard to put into words. So probably what we're gonna do, Johnny, is at your expense, we will find a picture uh, from back in the day and maybe share it on our Instagram. But dude, this guy had long blonde hair and it was just legendary, um, and it fits uh, fits your personality well. I did have one question I want to ask you about, you know, uh, kind of going back for a second about the team is. You know, you're a smart guy. You're a smart player on a team. And obviously there's sort of this, uh, you know, 
that uh, can be a dichotomy between, you know, athletes and, and, and their athleticism. And it doesn't always equate to, uh, you know, being the smartest player on the field. I'm curious from some guy like you, your perspective that obviously probably understands football and understood it then at a deeper level than maybe necessarily the best athletes did. Right. Like your, your honest assessment of some of the players, because I feel like the team, even though they're young and even though they got some great, like talented players, I think they're a lot smarter than they have been in a long time. I think that has a lot to do with Mac Brown, the coaching staff, and it all starts, I think, with Sam Howell. But they strike me as a team. I remember from that era, right, your era uh, before and after, right, like they had some great players and some, some even good teams like in the Butch Davis, like after you were gone, but like they would always kill themselves, like these dumb mistakes. And sure. Like we turn the ball over and those sorts of things like sometimes, and there's busted coverages and whatnot, but it just seems like in general, right. They're just general awareness of the game and the temperature of what's going on is a lot better. And I'm curious to get your, your, your feedback on that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think a lot of that's true. Um, you know, for someone like me, a to be able to get on the field. I mean, like I was an okay athlete, not great at all at anything. So like I had to be smart. Like I had to know where to be, how to get there the most efficient way and like try to block people that were like 250 to like 270 pounds. Like, and I'm like 210, 215 maybe in, in like max weight. I mean, that was when the lettuce was flowing. That's was 215, <laughs> you know? <laughs> So it's like, I, I understood that. And, you know, on that team, man, we had so many freaks, but I, I agree. Like we just weren't as disciplined. I mean, like seven or eight guys played in NFL on that team. Yeah. We were four and eight. Like, yeah. you just like, how, like, how do we do mind. that? And mm-hmm. it was, and it was one of those things where we just, you know, I don't know if it was, wasn't as much of a attention to detail, um, but it seems like this team is much smarter. Now, defensively, I think we've got some gaps and mm-hmm. we, you know, we're trying to, trying to play smart on that side of the ball. Um, but, you know, it's also hard, like, to be honest with you, with our offense, just so, so prolific that, yeah. like, you go out there and you go, it's a 12-play drive and, and defense gives up a field goal. You're like, that's great. Yeah. And the next mm-hmm. thing you know, the offense scores on two plays. And you're like, shit, we got to go yeah. out there again. I never really thought of that. <laughs> I mean, I and really also, like, it, and, and I don't – I haven't been keeping up with, like – the depth chart, so to speak, mm-hmm. with this team. But I remember, like, Coach Davis is like, look, we're going to put the 11 best guys on the field at all times. Yeah. You want to play in the NFL? Bruce Carter, you're going to kick off. You know, like, huh. Juan Sturdivant, all these guys, like, yeah. you're going to be on kickoff. You're going to be on punt team. Like, you want to win the game. You want to be the best player on the field. You're going to be out there. So I don't know if they're still doing that here. But, like, you think about that. It's like you just got a 12-play drive on defense. Hold them to a field goal. Great. All right, now you got to go out there and kick off a turn. And yeah, it's like, all right, perfect. All right, go out there and a lot of my touchbacks. Yeah, the offense scores in two plays. Like, shit, man. Yeah, I just got a drink of water finally. Yeah, you know? okay. and next thing you know, it's another eight, 10 plays. And it's like, like Boston College, a physical team or someone like that. It's just yeah. gonna, you know, go at you. It's like, it's tough. That's um, interesting. Yeah, I'm not a football savant, uh, but I will tell you this I remember Fedora seemed like we ran this hurry, hurry up offense, hurry up offense. And it seems like we're three and out. And then our defense wasn't that good. It's one of the worst defenses I've seen in the country. And uh, I was like, well, why in the hell are we rushing our offense off the, off the field to send these guys back on out there? And the, I mean, the score is like 45 to 17 or some BS like that. But uh, yeah, I mean, um, 
you know, there's a lot of parts of the games I don't know, but it just seems like sometimes common sense plays a little bit of a role. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you, you see I'm the, I'm the armchair coach right now. But, you know, <laughs> when, you, when you know that you're deficient in one thing, it's like you're not going to – you got to slow the game down somewhere to, like, provide your team an opportunity to win. It's like, you know, that's what – you maybe you can speak to it from basketball, like Coach Williams running up and down the court. But if there's another team that you know can combat that, like maybe y'all don't run it up and down, or maybe you slow it down. I don't. But see, you know, my, I'm not the basketball savant, so how would <laughs> well, it correlate? I will say there's no team in the country, and you look at Coach Williams' stats. He's up there in points per game, top I would say five about every year. And I knew when we stepped on the field, I bet not on the field on the court. We played on the court. Um, <laughs> I knew that there was no way this team was going to be able to run with us. And I remember in the uh, Elite Eight, I think it was my junior year, we played Louisville. They ran out of gas. That was a team, Rick Pitino's teams would press the whole game. They were gassed. And I just felt like even Clemson, Oliver, Purnell days, uh, they would press. And there was no team that could ever run with us, especially if you have Ty Lawson. And we had we had the talent that uh, most teams couldn't match, and I'm not saying uh, the football team has the talent that we had comparable to basketball, but I just knew stepping on the on the court that no team was in good enough shape to really try and yeah. run up and down with us. Yeah. So, so maybe the alternate of that be you know other teams playing against y'all. Maybe they mm-hmm. say, hey, look, we can't run with them. Instead, instead of pressing, they're going to start slowing it down, run it deep in the clock or whatever. You yeah, know, maybe you that's that how you got to. Even from uh, – I'm not a Savannah any damn thing, but, uh, you know, you see that a lot in basketball where, you know, you got a lot of teams that try to try to force us into a half court. You know, and then, you know, yeah. on uh, – on, on, um, you know, on the on, uh, football, you know, obviously they're trying to keep – you know, their defense off the damn field, right? Because they yeah. know if the defense is on the field, they're going to get scored on and, and going to get scored on repeatedly. <laughs> it's a possession game in either in either, in either sport, yeah. right? Roy tries to get 90 possessions a game or whatever, and then probably, probably uh, uh, Mac Brown probably tries to do the same thing, you know, on offense. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, what you got, uh, T? Yeah, yeah, I was just going to say one big stat that Coach Williams looks at, a lot of people – I don't know if people know this, but they look at the shot attempts per game. So if you look at the stat sheet and you see how many shots North Carolina got up versus their opponent. So if we got up 112 shots and they got up 92, so, I mean, statistics would point that, you know, there's a good chance of – we would have more points at the end of the game if we yeah. shot a decent percentage, but I don't know how that would correlate to football just because I don't know football, but yeah, I think Fedora's big thing was he was trying to, we're going to get off of uh, football and we're going to get to the, we're going to really slow the well, game down. Just, hey, listen, I mean, let's just be honest. Let's just get off Fedora. I mean, yeah, we just want yeah. to real. I mean, let's come on. I'm yeah, talking about any of the other ones, but not I, I'm sorry for bringing them up. I just, <laughs> I was just like, Hey, there's some things that come into common sense on every aspect of the game. Like, Hey, when you play golf, if you can't hit a damn drive, if you hit your five iron farther than your driver, why in the hell are you playing a driver? And then some people I play oh. golf with, they hit a damn driver. My driver is not in my bag because I can't fucking hit Big a driver. Doesn't like hitting the driver, man. He's got about he's got about an eight hundred dollar PXG hybrid to hit off the damn tee. I've spent more money on drivers than I have my fucking car I'm driving right now. <laughs> but I will tell you, there's one club you got to play, and that's a putter. And uh, you know, one guy can't play that one. <laughs> oh, <hooray. laughs> but yeah, hey, this ain't about Hulu. <laughs> yeah, this is about my man here, uh, Johnny R. Hawks. Uh, so yeah, John, let's uh, 
let's divert the, the you know let's get back to where we're all uh most comfortable and and least uh effective which is a golf course man so so tell me a little bit about how because i think this is, this is one of the one of the reasons we're excited to bring you on that man for even if you don't like golf or or, or what have you man like um being a caddy dude that's such an interesting uh, you know, path to follow. I'm sure you've got stories that none of us have ever heard or know about, but like, how'd you get into it? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what's it like playing, uh, or, or ha- being on tour and, and going to all these stops and just being like shoulder to shoulder with some of these guys. And then the tie hat. Dude. Yeah. How did you get into caddying? So I was, uh, I was working at Chapel country club, uh, as y'all may know, and some of your listeners may have come out to play golf there. Uh, oh, I know. Boy. And uh, I just said, man, I don't know what I want to do. I want to go back to school. Do I want to get another job? Because, you know, my life is pretty good. Wake up every morning, you know, take care of the golf. And then one o'clock, two o'clock, play golf, like four or five days a week. Not bad. And then I just got to a point where I was like, I don't, you know, I don't want to be a golf pro, like sitting in the shop, folding shirts, listening to Mr. and Mrs. Havocamp, you know, bitch about their bill. And it's like, I didn't ride the cart for nine holes and like taking carts down to the ninth, ninth green. So then they could ride the back nine because they're too tired. I was like, you know, I just want to get out of here. So I talked to uh, Jeremy Elliott. He was a, uh, he played golf at Carolina. He kind of finished right, um, right before I came in to play football and I knew he was an agent for a guy. And I, I just said, look, I said, man, if you got any of these guys, I know you represent a lot of big dogs. I said, like, if you got some guys that's like coming out of school or something that needs a caddy for a week, like I'd love to do it just to go do it, get away from here, whatever. He's like, all right, cool. And then it was like two or three weeks later, maybe more. And uh, he says, hey, he says, um, I got a guy just graduated from University of Georgia needs a caddy at Q school. I said, okay, where is it? He's like uh, first stage down at Pinehurst. I said, okay, what's the course? He said, uh, Pinewild. I said, oh, I said, I played there. You know, I grew up in Rockingham, like 30 minutes from Pinehurst. I said, sure. Played that golf course, you know, a dozen times in my life. I said, sure. I said, who's the guy? Where do I, what do I need to do? When when is it? You know, all this stuff. And he's like, it's, you know, go down there this Sunday, whatever it was at, yeah, be there about one o'clock. This is guy's number. And uh, it's Hudson Swafford. I was like, all right, cool. And like thinking back of it, I didn't like, I didn't even Google him, figure out who he was or anything. So I like text him when I get just show up for yeah, the job. So, yeah. So I just like show up down there. Like didn't even have a towel. Didn't have, I think I may have had my range finder. It's like, <laughs> if you're a caddy, you've got to have like at least like a towel, you know, <laughs> get in the parking lot. And this big guy gets out. And like looking at me, looking at him, I said, Hey, you Hudson? And he said, You Ryan? <laughs> I said, Yeah. <laughs> so I guess I'm a caddy this week. And he's like, Well, let's go do it, you know? So we uh we did it through the first stage. He got through top 25 and ties or something, made it to the second stage. And this is back when you could get your tour card from Q School. So I was like, all right, perfect. You know, I made, I don't know, a few hundred bucks that week four days, five days, whatever, playing golf. We go back to Chapel Country Club. He like calls me. He's like, hey, you want to do the next one? I said, well, where is it? He says, it's Panama City, Florida. I said, let me check with my boss and see if I can go down there. Talk to my boss, Big Rick. Big Rick. A.K.A. No, Chen, yeah. A.K.A. The Legend. 
He says, yeah. He said, go ahead. Drive down to Panama City, Florida. It's like 13 hours or something like that. Mm-hmm. Stunt and, finder? Uh, Were you still in the stunt finder in those days? I, at this point, I was in the stunt finder. Okay. I was still going, eager, eager, eager. Every time I went over the speed bump, because I couldn't get the shots fixed. Uh, so I cruised all the way down there. Uh, he had rented a house with like a couple other golf pros. Stayed there. And the, it's the ombre. <clears throat> and I had no idea about this place. You show up and it's like where people's golf careers die. Cause it's like, you get to second stage, there's all these guys that are like so good, but they can mm-hmm. never get past second stage. Yeah. So like they could just never cross the line to get over there. And this golf course is windy. It's right near the ocean. It's tight. I mean, like mega tight, like mm-hmm. 25, 30 yard, like us open tight. Wow. And HUD is a ball striker. Like he just stripes it. Uh-huh. Big, big, big right-handed guy, like six, three or four. Yeah, he's a big guy. Left to right. Big dude just juices it. I mean, just he can hit it 150 feet in the air and he can hit it 30 feet off the air mm. in the air. Like the reason why I made it on tour. Yeah. Um, so we make it through and he's like, hey, you want to do the lot? You want to do the final stage? I said, where's the final stage? He says, in La Quinta or Palm Springs, California, six rounds. I said, let's boogie, you know? Yeah. So I go home. It's like in December, first of December, fly out there. Like this is the first time I've been on a plane in like 10 years or something. So <laughs> figuring out getting a ticket and all this stuff. Get out there. We miss our tour card by two shots. Damn. Um, like the big tour. So it makes it on at that time the nationwide tour. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're good. It's like, hey man, we played good, you know, it just came up short, you know, whatever. A week later or two weeks later, it's like, hey, you want to do this for real full time? I said, well, maybe because <laughs> you know i saw like hey this is you know it's kind of fun yeah. and so well the, the first three events are in south america in central america i said all right i got a passport i think we're good <laughs> so that's kind of where we went i mean we went down and we had the um it started from there and caddy for him for two years on the nationwide tour then became the web.com tour we had one win out there um, I say we, he had a win. I was fortunate enough to carry the bag and, uh, which that was a pretty awesome thing. He won in Athens at his home course, Georgia, and, uh, they made it out to the big tour. So, so Johnny, how come you think, you think that I could have made it out of Chapel Hill country club and, uh, and, and followed the same path. I mean, I got off to a, uh, a, a, a rough start there. I understand, but. Uh, I mean, yeah, your, your, uh, your plans were, were pretty submerged from the get go. Um, yeah, it's just, you just didn't have a chance to come up from air. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll let you tell it if you want to. So, so this is great. I don't give a shit who you are. If you ever even heard of golf, but, uh, so man, I am like struggling through my undergraduate career. I think I'm on year six, seven, maybe eight. I don't know. I've already been working at one country club in a restaurant. I think I got fired. Uh, then, um, you know, so I got to know uh, Ryan, who I called Johnny all the time because he just started calling me Johnny one time. And so it's kind of stuck. Not even sure what it means or who the hell Johnny even was or is, but that's just so those of you out there ain't confused. But you know, so I go out there and, and Ryan's been on the, you know, he's been on the staff out there for a while. And um, uh, we got this other buddy named Clay Costner. Clay's a redheaded dude nicknamed Seabiscuit. 
about as redneck as a, a guy you've ever seen. And also, what do you say about probably top five smartest guy I've ever met in my life? Just oh, out of nowhere. Uh, unbelievable. 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 The, guy's, the guy's a lawyer now. Every time I see him, like once every five years, he's just belted, torpedoed at some bar somewhere in some random place. Last time yeah, I saw him, Columbia, South Carolina at a football game. Um, Clay is working in the – and I'm nervous because I just showed her the first day of – this job. I'm, I'm young. All right. Preface it with saying that. Uh, and man, I am nine sheets to the wind from the night before. And I'm just, I'm so nervous cause I didn't mean to. And then I show up, I'm like, man, I ain't gonna last a day at this job. Right. So luckily the first guy I meet is old sea biscuit and he's in there and he, he and I look at each other in the eyes and start laughing. And immediately we're just instant friends because he knows I'm wasted still. And I know he's wasted still. And I immediately have this level of comfort that I just really need to get through this first day on the job. So the lady, I've never actually worked at a golf course. The previous job I had was in the restaurant. So I've never, and I, I don't know the first damn thing. I mean, I play golf, but like I literally had the, uh, my clubs, I'm in college, I'm in my twenties. And my set of clubs was from when I was 10 years old and they belonged to my baseball coach's wife because she was left-handed, right? I mean, I got ladies flex shafts in my Wilson overstaffs, all right? That's how much, that's how good of a golfer I was and frankly, probably still am. And uh, so the lady in the club, I don't remember her name, but she was also somebody that worked at the course at the time. I wouldn't remember her if she fell out of the sky, but Rick was the pro there. And she said, you can go, uh, you go pick the range and just put the balls in the buckets, Okay. Never picked the range, but I'm out there on the cart and I'm, I'm like, this is cool, man. I'm riding around on the cart. Everybody tries to hit on the driving range. And, but Can I'm I stop that. you there right there yeah. for one second? Yeah, yeah please. Because let me tell you something. If you are just ripped, you're just begging to pick the range because you ain't got to talk to anybody. You, you, throw the air, you throw the, the headphones in, music, yeah. you just. Just, and if somebody, if something happens to get through one of those grates on that golf cart and hits you right in the temple and kills you dead, you're better off for it, you know? So you're just okay with that. And uh, so people are, you know, out rifling, rifling balls. It's a country club. It's a, you know, Roy Williams is a member there. All the who's who are a member of Chapel Hill. And um, so I get done picking the range and she told me to put the balls in the buckets. Well, there's buckets out there, but they're full of water. And I'm like, damn, might be rain the night before. I don't remember. <laughs> You know, and I'm just like, this is so weird, man. I ain't never, man, I come from some blue collar shit, dude. We used to play at a city course with nine holes, man. Like I said, my clubs cost $11 and that was too much, right? So I'm like, this doesn't make any damn sense. And remind you, I'm fucked up, dude. Like I'm wasted. So I'm, it is hot as hell, like summertime. I ain't thinking quite straight. And I'm like, dude, this doesn't make any sense. I can't find my new friend Seabiscuit. This girl's gone somewhere and I don't know anybody else. So I'm just like, all right, man, she told me to put them in the buckets. I figured that was just how they washed them off or something. This is the weirdest shit I've ever seen. <laughs> and so I start pouring golf balls in his buckets of water. And, and one of the members comes up, taps me on the shoulder and says, uh, son. I was like, yes, sir. He said, uh, I don't think the ball's going there. I was like, uh, well, where do they go? And he points over to the side. I guess I don't have any idea how I didn't see these, but they had the range had these little like titleless golf bags, like short ones that were buckets for your range balls. And the balls, I was pouring balls into the bucket where you're supposed to wash your clubs. And I looked at that guy and I was like, 
yeah, that seems like a lot better place to put him, doesn't it? And he's like, yeah, I think it does, son. And uh, I don't remember his name, but uh, yeah, dude, that was the top. That's one of my top 10. Just, I don't know, man. I, I have no idea how I didn't see the bags, but like, wasn't my fault, dude. I didn't know. Um, Should have. To this day, every time I see that guy, those five chance encounters since we graduated college. First thing he says about takes a sip of a Budweiser is like this motherfucker right here poured the balls in the ball washing bucket or the club washing bucket on the first day of the job. But that was a great job, man. We had some good times. Me, you, old Sea Biscuit, some other people, Coop, four putt, tut, wow. I mean, we we had we had a crew there. Man, Styles if you're P. listening, uh-huh. yeah, uh-huh. I talked to him the other day. If you guys were listening, I mean. I don't. If you don't like the story, fine. But I'm telling you, you missed out on a on a on a damn treasure of life in about two years that we all worked together at, at Chapel Hill Country Club. That was a good crew we had there for sure. Oh boy, I remember in the winter time we used to take uh, we would take trash bags. Me and Sea Biscuit, we'd show up. And Coop, Coop, uh, a guy named Cooper. He was uh, he's a piece of work. And uh, I yeah. played golf. With Cooper. <laughs> oh man, Cooper's a, a, a just scrawny dude. Always just like has the weirdest personality. And we would cut. Uh, <laughs> oh, he's not. We would cut holes in the. Uh, Coop's definitely not listening. Sorry, <laughs> Coop, man. We love you. Uh, we cut holes. He's definitely black- having a bourbon. I can tell yeah. you that. Oh yeah, he's definitely having a bourbon. He, uh, we cut holes in black hefty bags and sleep in the cart barn. Uh, <laughs> stay warm, but. Man, that, those are those are the days. So, uh, so, so, what, uh, what, with, with the caddying for HUD, man. Let's go back to that. Let's uh, let's stop making this about the second greatest golf you've ever known. Get back to the one dude that made it on. I got one thing though. I can't. Every time I'm on the range, I can't help but try to hit the guy. That's. I mean, I, I go to. You know, I'm a member at a country club or whatever it is, golf club, and I don't care who's on the range. I act like I'm not aiming for him. I try to drill him every single time. Never gets. I mean, it's look. I mean, you just you want to hit it. Like everybody wants to hit it. It's whether they want to admit that they're trying to. Imagine Tiger hitting stingers out there, just rifle. I mean, just give some dude just PTSD in that thing. Dude, he would he wouldn't miss. If I'm at family, I look over the guy I don't know, and I'm like, you think I can drill that cart? And we just (laughs) just going right at him, shooting scud missiles. (laughs) <laughs> hitting four irons like just 20 feet off or five yeah. feet off the ground no, the guy's like 20 feet from you. Ball the air. never hit it by the way now i don't know if i've ever hit the cart in my entire life but hey look you're probably good in scotland you know you play ball on the ground, hitting yeah. the low balls i'm a ground ball hitter dude so hey those guys. so you balkan you picked uh you picked balls too oh yeah did you oh, ever yeah. get drilled oh all the time did the, ever, the worst is, to be honest, like the worst is when you're like turning around and you're going away from the range and they drop it in the back bucket mm. and it's plastic and it sounds loud as shit. Like, you know that you're going to get one in the grill, like on the metal stuff and on the windshield. But like when you're cruising back, you're like, all right, I made it. Nobody hit me. You're cruising out. And next thing, it's like a right shotgun pass. It is. Yeah, it's, it's loud. Like, <laughs> and it'll scout. I don't give a damn how many times they drop one of that bucket. Yeah. I, I do remember that. That thing would, Yeah, you can't, you can't uh, help but just jump. Yeah, you yeah. jump. Um, but picking the range was was definitely like the one outlet. Like you got banged up the night before. You're like, because because when it's hot, when it's hot, nobody wants to pick the range. Yeah, it's you hot show up there, for work. You're like, like I, I got, got the range. <laughs> yeah, I'll take the range all day. I don't want to talk to anybody. You know, I talk to anybody. They're gonna get a contact. Like, oh, yeah. like it's, yeah. it's, it's gonna be out. So, Balkum, you 
was that your first time caddying for anybody when you showed up at uh for Hudson that first time over there by Pinehurst? That uh I actually caddied previously for Reed Darcy, played at Carolina. Yeah. Same time we were there. He uh he was a roommate of mine and um he tried to do Q school a couple of times. Mm-hmm. So I caddy for him and two like first stage and second stage. Uh, but before that, no, like played golf. And I was like, I know what I need to do. I know where I need to stand, like clean the club, show up, keep up, shut up, keep rolling. What is your index? Um, I think it's like a zero, whatever zero. it is. I want to, I want to, I want to keep it at least like two shots on the good side of cam. So if we ever get a chance to play, it's got to give me shots. I'll put money on it all day long, dude. Hey, listen, man, me and big, not, Hulk, to, not to throw any, not to throw any shots at him, but Hey, listen, saying. if me and big Hulk could play as a team in uh what is it? Q school, which I don't even know what Q stands for. Yeah. It's qualifying. qualifying I'm school, you, yeah. We're glad we the valedictorian to that motherfucker, dude. I'm telling you, we dominate. put us together. All right, you know we we compensate for each other's weaknesses. Mainly, Big Hog hits eighty percent of the shots that we keep. I hit nine percent of the shots. We you keep. might make the a other of get there, really you stretched know. out. You know that's where we struggle. Yeah. But yeah, um, we're a little sandbaggers though. We try to get that handicap up. Yeah, so we can get more shots. Yeah. But I mean, there's anti sandbaggers out there too. There's uh-huh. people that have the fake index. The vanities. Like, yeah, and the one thing the index doesn't take into consideration is the the effect that nerves can play when it gets like, okay, so you're a plus two, but are you a plus two under pressure? Are you a plus two when somebody's watching and the putt matters? What's your flip switch index is basically what we're asking. Uh, I mean, I'd say I'm, I'm just a a zero. Like, Oh yeah. I mean, I've been like when I played and I was at the country club and played a bunch, like every day practicing, like I was probably a plus one or two, like at my best. I mean, there'd be times like there where I wouldn't, I'd go out and I'd shoot like one over par and I'd be like upset, which is like asinine. But now <laughs> like, I'm like, yeah, I mean, but now I'm like, all right, like in the seventies, you know, around par. Hmm. So do, do you think uh, the best player, let's say at a country club or a golf club, do you think they would even like do any damage at like Q school or against some of these pros that are trying to get on the tour. Yeah. What's the difference? What's the X fan? Forget tiger. Like those guys, I'm talking guy like Hudson, like you mentioned how he strikes the ball, but like, what's the difference between an amateur and a pro? All right. Well, you know, I was hoping you guys would ask this question because I used to have to always combat this with all the caddies in the caddy yard at tournaments because it would be about week, I don't know, seven or eight in the football season. Mm-hmm. And the Browns were terrible, or the Jaguars, or you pick a team, whoever it was, the Jets, they were 0-7 or 0-8. And, and that Alabama was 8-0. And they're like, God, I know you, see do, you, this. do yeah. you think that Alabama would beat the Browns? I said, if you think Alabama would beat the Browns, you lost your damn mind. Mm-hmm. I said, they said, well, what do you mean? I said, they're good. I said, they're good. I said, there's 53 players that were the best or the second best player on that college team, mm-hmm. on that NFL roster. On that Alabama team, there might be three, four. On a good year, they might have eight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's 11 guys that play each, da- each down. Mm-hmm. 
I said, these guys in the NFL, you're talking about playing boys against men. I was like, these guys would get worked. So for the golf, the golf thing is like your club champion, the guy like if he were to play one round, they got a chance. They got a better chance if they play nine holes. Right. Mm-hmm. They got a be- even better chance if you play one hole. Hell, like, I got a I'll chance to play, play one hole. I'll play Tiger Woods on a par three for one hole. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But yeah. if I got to play him for nine holes, he's going to smoke me. If I play him for 18, he's definitely going to smoke me. Even when it's like he ain't as good as he is, you know, as he used to be. So it's like the club champion or like the North Carolina amateur champion or whatever. Like those guys, whenever it gets time to play against guys that are professionals, it's just like, the, the switch gets flipped. I mean, I remember I went down to play with Hudson before we started, um, like our first year of caddy. He said, Hey, come down. He lived in Sea Island, Georgia. He said, Come down to Sea Island. We'll hang out for a couple of days. We'll play. We'll kind of talk about, you know, shots and, you know, how I like, how I like things, all this stuff. I said, Okay, good. So it was me. I was like, You know what? It's January. I'm going to be grinding. I'm going to be grinding. I'm going to get on there and I'm going to like, I'm, I'm going to try to beat him. Yeah. yeah, that's that's what I said, yeah, right? Because right? I mean, you want to be a switch flipper, bro. Because I, yeah, because no I want to see one. Because I wanted to see, like, hey, like I'm pretty good, like, but I want to see if I'm good enough. Mm-hmm. And I go down there, and I'm like getting it up and down from everywhere. Like I am grinding. I'm I'm just like doing it. I was like one or two under the turn or whatever. And we get in the turn, and I'm like up one or something. And then you know he's like, ah, oh, playing pretty good. I said, hey man, just you know trying to keep up with you. And the next thing you know, it's just like birdie, birdie, par, par, birdie, eagle. You know, and it's just like all of a sudden I shoot like one or two under and he shoots like 65. And I was just like, wow, yep, that pretty much uh, settles it right there. You know, and that's That's how like those guys, I mean, they, the thing is, is the, the guys that are really successful on tour, they don't make mistakes. And when they make mistakes, they minimize them. Mm -hmm. And, like I thought I knew how to play golf after caddying, like, and I could play like not a lot at all, but I, I finally learned how to play the game. Yeah. And I could go out like I hadn't hit balls. And I'd say, Hey, look, why are you trying to hit the shot? This is stupid. Like chip it out in the fairway, hit it on the green. You make bogey. Who cares? Cause those guys never want to make sixes. Huh. You make a six. It doesn't well, matter. I don't, what either. I don't either, Ryan. You know, well, I don't want to make one either, buddy. Hey, listen, hey, we all don't want to. Only problem is but I that's, uh, tend to. Yeah. But like they might that's be able to part five, they, they might go to part three. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I got a question about these golfers. You know, as as football players and basketball players and other athletes, I, I see like a routine. And whenever I watch really good athletes, uh, I've been fortunate to watch a lot of people like Kobe Bryant warm up and things. I like to look at their routines and kind of see like, you know, what they do. Um, what's a golfer routine like? And how, like when you went to these events, was there any golfer that you saw that was like, man, that, I mean, the swing just looks so much better in person, the routine or his like his grind, like, oh man, this guy's really grinding his work ethic. He's focused. What was that? I mean, what is that like? You tell, like, there's some guys that literally were maximizing their talent mm-hmm. and just scrappy, just like got out there. And, uh, you know, he's, he's not one of these guys anymore, but that was like the joke about Jimmy Walker. Uh-huh. For the longest time, he's like top 10 Jimmy Walker, never could win. Like, you never heard about him winning but he always kept his card. Like he's always around. He'd have like three or four good tournaments, keep his card. Nobody ever talked about it. And all of a sudden flipped the switch and he started winning. 
Um, you know, another guy I caddy for, Bryce Garnett. He's another guy like that that he's he's really maximized his talent, and he like he knew what worked for him, and he would never play with it outside of himself, and never try to do anything that he couldn't like physically do. And he was a very smart player and mm-hmm. he's been out there and, you know, right after I retired, quote unquote, retired, <laughs> um, probably a year and a half later, he finally won on the tour and I knew he was going to do it. It's just all a matter of time. And then you go and look at some of the other guys that you like watch those guys hit balls and you're just like, shit, man. Like, I just wish I had a chair right here. I mean, I can sit here and just watch this all day. Yeah. Strike. Yeah. So, Strike. so two things. Strike. Uh, two, the one on that part, and one I'm gonna back up to Jimmy Walker. But yeah, I, I, I went out. I think in 14 they had the U.S. Open at Pinehurst. Is the last time I went to that, and that's what I was amazed by. I think it says on a previous pod is they stuck like flags out in whatever that par five is that they use as a driving range, and you could have handpicked that range. I mean, 280 yeah. yards down the fairway, these guys are hitting cuts and draws into the flag. Like, I mean, you could have walked up with a food line bag and just picked the balls up out of a, you know. 20 foot radius it seemed like and they were like that around every single flag these guys just don't miss right unless they're trying to mess with something Uh, but about but about uh jimmy walker i think for the average listener that we have here we just need to delineate between jimmy walker and johnny walker because i can't tell you what jimmy won either black Uh, label but yeah he he, uh, it's not the liquor guy with the top hat looks like uh penny bags off of monopoly or whatever but uh but uh, Balkum, you said you had a. Didn't you bring another story to the table, or did, have we run through that? One? I know the ball washers. Uh, we, 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 we've got. I've got. I've got a couple of good stories just to back up. Uh, talking about my first first year, and this is um, this is one that I'm like seventy percent proud of, thirty percent kind of ashamed <laughs> of, um, just because it was just stupid, but it worked. And you know, so we're in uh, Bogota, Colombia. Bogota, Colombia, Colombia, cartel. Yeah. 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 You know, so, you know, (laughs) (laughs) so we're down there, we're staying and it was, it's, it's funny because we were down there and, um, during the week we see like all these SUVs, black Tahoes and Suburbans roll up Mm -hmm. armored glass, all the stuff. It's like, you know, I'm just starting to do this. It's like the first we've ever done this. Like, outside of the u.s right i said what the hell's going on they said oh clinton's coming in town i said clinton george clinton <laughs> you know joking and they're like no the president oh president bill clinton i said okay so next thing you know secret service all the stuff in bogota columbia so we go out there that day a practice round we got there and we're walking and it's like this golf course is it's very it's altitude so it's like 6500 feet above sea level and I remember that week taking a shower and I was like, damn, I'm winded. Yeah. You know, just the altitude was getting to me. So we go out there to the golf course and Clinton shows up and damn, if there's like these condos all around it. And I'm just like, boom, sniper, boom, sniper, boom, wow. sniper. And I'm just like, shit, this is like, this is probably the safest place I could be right now. Yeah. You know, so that all goes on. We play well that week. And I don't know what we finished top 25 or something like that. <clears throat> and after it, we, uh, Hudson and I just had a couple beers, Club Columbia beers. Right. And, uh, I was going, uh, Carly, my now wife was girlfriend at the time. We had planned a vacation 
in between because I was going to be in Bogota, Colombia for a week. There's an off week. And then it was Panama City, Panama, and then Santiago, Chile. So I said, well, I'm going to fly back to the States. You got the accent, like huh, Johnny. You, yeah. You well, I can speak a little Spanish. Yeah. I speak a little Spanish back in the day. See? Uh, great, for, great for the story coming up. So um, <laughs> so we're sitting there, and, and she's she's like, hey. Well, I was like, let's do a trip. So we're like, hey, look, let's go to Costa Rica. So we're like, perfect. She's flying out on Monday morning from Charlotte to Costa Rica. I'm flying Sunday night from Bogota to Santa to uh, San Jose, Costa Rica, and then like a little puddle jumper to the near where the resort was. And everything. So I meet this girl who's a caddy named Chris. She's like, hey, they had like taxi service or like a shuttle set up for the players and caddies to get back to the airport. And she says, uh, are you going, you got a flight tonight? I said, yeah, I got a flight tonight. Sorry. And then, uh, so we, we share like the, the taxi or whatever to the airport. We get there and you walk out and it's like guys in fatigues, AK-47s or AR-15s. I don't, I don't know anything about guns, but I know some big ass guns, semi-automatic rifles walking out front at like security. It's like my hometown. <laughs> I'm like, shit, like this is crazy. So we walk in, you know, two and a half hours early because you're like, I can't miss a flight in another country and all stuff. We show up. And uh, we get all checked in, give them the bags, all this stuff. And so, where are you going? I said, I'm going to Liberia, Costa Rica. And they're like, okay. And she was going somewhere else. And uh, they said, okay, great. I said, uh, passport, please. And I give them the passport and give them my ticket. And they're like, uh, where's your uh, yellow fever vaccination? I said, yellow fever vaccination? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yellow fever vaccination. And uh, <laughs> and I was like, uh, I said, yeah, 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 it, yeah it's in, in my passport. And he's like, no, 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 no. He's like, you got to have the yellow fever vaccination. I said, no, 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 yeah. And this is all like in Spanish. I was like, yeah, it's in there. And he's like, yeah. And then he's like, listen, <laughs> if you don't have a yellow fever card, it shows you've been vaccinated. You cannot get on the plane. I said, okay, hold on a second. I go talk to her. She's standing right beside me because I'm like the only one that can speak Spanish. This Chris or Carly? This is Chris, the girl that okay. was a caddy. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so we're sitting there and then I like turn around. And I see like this guy walking behind us, like pacing back and forth, like a backpack. So this is weird. I go back to the guy and I said, yeah, no, we got it. Like it, it, it's in our like immunization report. Like he's like, listen, I'm going to tell you one last time. If you don't have the card that says you've had a yellow fever vaccination, you cannot get on the plane. If you get on the plane, they will send you back here. They would not accept you at customs or at immigration at, in Costa Rica. Mm -hmm. I said, okay. So I was like, look, we're stuck. Like, you know, whatever. I said, what, what do we need to do? And he's like, you can call your doctor. And it's like eight o'clock at night. I was like, what kind of doctor is going to call in and fax like an immunization, <laughs> yeah. which, I, oh, which I did. Columbia. Yeah, which I did not have. I did not have the yellow fever vaccination. Mm -hmm. um, for those who are wondering, yellow fever is about uh, mosquitoes. And Bogota and Panama have high prevalence of that. In Costa Rica, there's not because of the climate. So uh -huh. they don't want people coming there with it. And this will resonate uh, pretty well here. It's going to sound bad for me. But if you do go there, you have to quarantine if you haven't had it uh -huh. for like seven days. Got it. And I was like, the whole trip's seven days. Like, uh, <laughs> what am I going to do? <laughs> Sit in the airport, you know? Um, which sounds terrible. But 
So I was like, look, Chris, we got to figure something out. Like, they're not going to let us on the plane. And this guy comes up to me and he like opens up his jacket pocket and he says, Yellow fever? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I look at her, I said, The fuck is it? What is going on right now? And she, he just like looks at me and he's like real discreet walking around. I'm like, These guys, there's like army guys out front. Yeah. Like, this is a racket, you know? And I was like, No, nah, no, nah, we're good, man. So we pull our luggage back like 20 feet away from the counter and the guy, the, the guy at the counter is still there. Right. Like yeah. he's still, he's seated, you know, and the guy says, yellow fever opens up his jacket again. I said, what's up? And he's like, uh, yellow fever vaccination. You need it. I said, maybe what's up? He said, uh, he said, 100 American. I said a hundred American. He said, he said, 100 American or you don't get on plane. So they know yeah. this is a deal, right? They know it's a deal. I was like, this is a damn racket, whatever. So I said to her, I said, all right, what do we need to do? Fortunately, for, I'm not a person that carries cash. I had like 300 bucks on me. Started to sound like said, buying weed in the Bahamas. And, and, she, and she didn't have like any cash. I said, all right, I got you. Well, you know, what do you need? Yeah. So he's like, I need your passport. I said, bullshit, you're not taking my passport and walking away. I said, I'll meet you in the bathroom. I'll give you the passport. Because I'm like, there's army guys out here. Like, I'm going to get yeah. locked up abroad. You know? Right. <laughs> we go in there, like, straight up drug deal. <laughs> Bill I pass Clinton, you trying to get your ass out of jail you're back home. <laughs> yeah. I, I pass, like, passport underneath the stall. He grabs it. We walk out. And I'm, like, following. So I follow him. He walks outside to the damn newspaper stand outside. And there's this guy, he's got like his hand on his head. He's flipping through like, I don't know, People Weekly or whatever. And he looks at it. He grabs these two yellow cards from like in the newsstand thing. He gets a stamp and it goes pop, 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 stamps it, fills it out, whatever. Guy comes back. I said bathroom. I said bathroom. So we go back in the bathroom and same deal. He passes it to me. Passes it I go back and look at it. All this stuff. I was like, all right, we're good. We're good. We go back up to the ticket counter and I go up to him and I said, yellow fever vaccination. <laughs> I got the car. I still, I still have the car. Yeah, for those and of you guys they, listening, we're watching this. Oh my soon. God. And right on that I delivery, he sticks up the yellow card right in his, right in his damn so, window. So, uh, so I pick it up. I give it to him and the guy just looks at me, looks at the card and he just like lets out like a seven year old girl giggle. Like, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> So he's like, okay, you're good. And I told the guy earlier, I was like, you know, I'll give you the money once we get past security or once we get to security. Right. I was like, you know, they're going to, they're going to take my money and my order. So he's like, okay, so I'll meet you upstairs. So you go upstairs, drop the bags, bags already dropped. You go upstairs, whatever. Yeah. Give them a hundred bucks, slip them a hundred bucks. We go through the line. Everything gets to good. We're through, through security, everything. I'm like, shit. Like now I'm like, this is definitely a racket. Yeah. Like, it's the government's in on it. Like all this yeah. stuff, like this is bullshit. You know, we get there and I, uh, she had a phone that like worked international. I mean, this is 2012. Yeah. 2012. So it was like, I had an iPhone, but it was like, like the second one that ever came out and it was like three years old. Uh-huh. I was like, I, I can't use it. Like whatever. So I called Carl. I was like, Hey, I just want to let you know, like I'm at the airport. If I'm not at the resort, like, don't worry, I'll, I'll get there. And that was it. It was like, yeah. literally, it was like, I was 1990s. Like, I got one minute to talk. I got to get it all out and, and hang it up because it was like $5 a minute. So we get through, get on the airport. <clears throat> I told Chris, I said, text me whenever you get through immigration in Costa Rica. Because she was like hanging out there and not going on the next flight. 
So I get there trying to get like Wi-Fi and all this stuff. And I like fall asleep because I had like a long layover trying to sleep in a terminal. So I wake up and security like rolls through and they're like, Hey, you got to get up. This is like three in the morning, four in the morning. My flight's like six. You got to get up. You got to go through customs. They're going to shut down. Everybody's got to get out of the airport. I said, Oh shit. I could never get my email to work to find out like if she sent me what they asked her and all this stuff. I go through and finally, I was like, oh, I'm tired. Yeah, you know, whatever. I bullshitted with the security and immigration. I was like, uh, where are you going? I said, I'm going to Liberia, Costa Rica. Flights at six. They're like, okay, go here. It's a separate terminal. It's outside. It's on a puddle jumper. And they're like, uh, I hand my passport. Nothing else. And they're like, yellow fever? Vaccination? Where's your card? Oh and I'm telling you, I'm telling you, like, I am sweating. Like, I am, like, I'm like, uh, What's the, the coach at uh, Virginia? The sweat through the shirt. I'm Pete Gillum right now. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm sweat through the shirt. I hand it to him, and he says, "All good, man. Make, don't make sure you make sure you don't miss your flight at six. Go make it." I'm telling you, when I landed, when I got outside and through, I went down, got on my knees, and I literally lips on the asphalt, kissed the ground. <laughs> like I was like, that was so dumb, so stupid. Uh, I should have been locked up abroad. I should have just oh, gone to the embassy. I should have gone home. Here's the best part. When I get to Costa Rica at the resort, I never even looked at the damn thing. I go look at the stamp, and I'm going to read it to you right now. It says, uh, you know, it's got all my information, my passport number, all this stuff. Vaccination is, is good for 10 years. It was stamped, first stamped, by Dr. Hugo Tavera with a V. The second stamp on the opposite page says Dr. Hugo Tabera with a B. <laughs> Two different names stamped it. They didn't look at it, just whatever. And I was like, I could have been in shackles right now, not doing this podcast. Like I'll try to get out of here. Eat, eating food through <laughs> a straw. Eating beans, yeah. In, in, in Bogota, Colombia, of all oh, places. Yeah, I know that was a long-winded story, but it was, it was, well, we're glad you made it was an out. event. I'm glad I made it home too. I thought you were going to drink the cocoa leaves to help with the altitude sickness when you said you were feeling it a little bit. I know. I thought thought at some point we were going to find out Chris was actually a man, but uh, I mean, I'm glad we didn't. I'm glad glad it turned out the way it was. Um, Well, dude, we, uh, man, this has been awesome. You got any other questions? Yeah, I got one question. Uh, You you wear an orange hat every single time you caddy? yeah, Yeah. Yeah, I did, I did wear an orange cap. I did wear an orange cap. Bass Pro? Um, it was tied. Bass Pro it was Bass Pro. for a long time. Then it was tied. Um, oh, back, back, it was yeah. like my calling card. You know, they, you know, the wet bandits, you know, left the water running. I was Amen. the one that wore the orange cap. Um, so it was it was good. It always kept me, like, made it easy for people to spot me on TV or on the Instagram or Facebook or Twitter whenever the clip comes up of uh, hitting, the, hitting the ball with the divot. Yeah, like uh, that's smartest that's player on the field and the football field, smartest player on the court. I'm gonna put that on the uh, the Instagram page too. That's a, I love that clip. It's hilarious. It always makes me laugh. Listen, yeah, I dude. got I got one I got one other good story that I think y'all appreciate. Give it to me. Another another good story from Caddy Days. <clears throat> so we're down in Mayacoba, Mexico. It's like the last event of the year. I'm caddying for Bryce Garnett, and he's struggling with his driver. Uh, played played a driver that uh, the name started with T and ended in T. If you can figure out what company that was, and he was uh, he was uh, due to like that was going to be his his uh, last event to qualify for his bonus. Mm-hmm. 
like big, big money, decent, decent, big money bonus. <laughs> Couldn't hit it worth a shit. And he's like, look, I got a switch. He's like, I found this Callaway driver that I want to hit. I said, okay, what are you going to do? He said, well, I got to, I got to, I got to play this Titleist driver to satisfy like my bonus. That's mm-hmm. a big bonus. I said, all right. I said, well, what are you going to do? I said, man, you, you win this golf tournament, you win a million dollars. Who gives a shit? It's like, yeah, but you know, like, I, I, you know, my contract's up then this year. I don't want to mess up the renegotiations, all this stuff. I said, all right. I said, I got, a, I got an idea for you. I said, you trust me? He's like, yeah. I said, well, most people don't know this, know this rule. I said, but I do. In golf, the maximum number of clubs you can have is 14 in mm-hmm. your bag. You can start with one if you want. And you can add them throughout the round until you get to 14. I said, this is what we're going to do, bud. We're going to go through the yards book right now. We're going to figure out which club you're most likely not to hit at all in this first round. Because <laughs> the way it's structured is the Daryl survey, like Callaway, Titleist, all these golf manufacturers pay a bunch of money to do these surveys because they know, say, hey, we won the driver count this week. We won the ball count, we, you know, whatever, for the mm-hmm. advertising. <laughs> the person will come and they will check your bag, grip, shaft, like, Loft lie, like I mean, not loft lie, but like set up seven iron, mm-hmm. eight iron, whatever it is. Each model, everything in your back, glove, what what kind of cap the caddy's wearing, what shoes you're wearing, what socks you're wearing, like all this shit. Wow, it's crazy. <laughs> they always do them the first and tenth tee because it's two tee start on the uh-huh. on the first day, and they uh-huh. always do it the first day. I said we're going to start with thirteen clubs, and we're going to make this work. And you're going to have that Titleist driver in your pack. He said, "What do you mean?" I said, you can add a club at any point during the round. He said, really? I said, yeah. Called a rule official because he didn't believe me. I called yeah. a rule official over and he's like, yeah, you can start with 12, 10, 13, whatever. You just can't go past 14. I said, that's what we're going to do. We're going to start with that Titleist driver. I'm going to take this Callaway driver and I'm going to hide it behind the shitter halfway down the first fairway. <laughs> and then you're going to hit the tee ball. You can hit three wood or three iron. I don't care what you hit on the tee. We're going to call a rule official. Well, I'm going to go in there. I'm going to pick that club up behind the shitter, throw it in the bag, and we're going to roll. He's like, you can do that? I said, I promise you we can do this. So we go. Go to the first tee. I told him, I said, look, you finish warming up. you got to carry your bag to the putting green and to the first tee. Because i got to, like, sneak it through these mangroves to go hide the club and not let the survey people. Yeah, not not see, let these people see me going to, like, what I'm doing. Because they're going to be like, what are you doing? We get in the first tee, and the guy's like, you know, you only got 13 clubs. And I told Bryce before, I said, hey, they're going to they're gonna ask you why you got 13 clubs. So you just tell them that you were working on your swing and the mirror in, the, in, the, in your room and you forgot it. And you just realized it five minutes ago and you're not enough time to go run and get it. He's like, that'll work. I said, absolutely. He was skeptical. You know, he's like, ah, oh, this is what I was doing by whatever. And he's like, huh, that's weird. Okay. All right. Checks him off. Goes to the next person. Play the first hole. I said, Look at the walking score. I said, hey, call the rules official. So what do you need? I said, just call the rules official. Rules official comes up. I said, hey, we're going to add this club right here to our bag. We got 13 clubs. It's going to make 14. We're going to keep rolling. He said, looked at the club. He says, looks good. Good to go. His bonus that week was fairly hefty for him from the, the annual contract. <laughs> Playing that club, we ended up finishing six, and he made like 250 grand. Wow. Which was way more than what, not, I mean, not way more, but it was a fair amount more than what he was going to get. Sure. And that's what I always tell people. And I told him in contract negotiations and all that stuff. I said, look, I know it's a lot of money and it's like hard for someone to say, 
a hundred grand or 250 grand or whatever it is to a professional athlete. It's like, it's a lot of money, but it's not when you compare mm-hmm. it. And I know that sounds terrible to say, mm-hmm. but one good week you win and it's a million mm-hmm. and you got to play what's best. And it's like, you could probably equate it to you T on, on shoes. It's like you play with some shitty yeah. shoes, some, some Debo's out there in the NBA and they're paying you, you know, a hundred grand Big and you tear up your ankle. Like, yeah, whatever it is, like it yeah. doesn't make sense. And those guys get so fixated on like, oh, I gotta make this, I gotta make this quota to get my points to to get my bonus. And it's like, dude, you have one good week. Who gives a shit? Yeah, and you I know? agree. And so I've had a few teammates that have been with the shoe company and paid them great, good money. Uh, like you said, you know, a hundred, hundred thousand, two hundred thousand dollars to wear that shoe. And then you get into it and you're like, the shoe is bad. But listen, whenever your outcome, if you play better basketball wearing a certain shoe or you golf better with a certain club, you're going to make that money up by performing better than 100%. you perform. 100%. And that's what, Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, that's what I told Bryce. And it's like, look, they start coming to you and they're like, hey, like DJ and all the big dogs. Mm-hmm. And, they're, <laughs> and they're giving you a check that's got seven digits in it. Then you're like, you know what? I could probably figure it out. Probably figure it out. <laughs> yeah. I'll, wear, I'll wear Adidas. I, I have yeah, yeah. one. So you were you were going through, uh, sneaking through the crowd to pick that club up behind the shitter, and no one was oh, yeah. like, "Oh, this cat! What the hell is this caddy doing?" Well, dude, we're in Mexico. Oh, yeah, like shit. the cat, the, dude, the caddy oh, lounge. Mexico. All they gave us for breakfast was bacon and it looked like fat back, <laughs> black beans and eggs. If it, like I'm surprised that, I'm surprised the club was still there if it was in Mexico. <laughs> no, I, I shouldn't say, I mean, I shouldn't say I'm just making a joke, but <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, um, so so how many different places? So you went to uh Columbia. I would have never imagined they have golf courses in Columbia. I know they have really nice golf club or golf courses in uh, Mexico, but that is uh that's interesting because a lot of you know, sports fans, it's like this one, basketball, when I tell them, hey, you know, we're going to Europe, uh, going to China to play. So golf is, you know, really big in Asia, like uh, basketball. And I would have never guessed it was big in South America, too. It's, it's really grown um, probably in the last 15 years. And a lot of that's because of Augusta, Augusta mm-hmm. National um, Latin American champion gets into the masters now. Uh, yeah. So like, it's been big, it's been blowing up all in South America. Um, like from like he was South American, he, right? Like, yeah, he was, he was, he was a Spaniard, Spanish. Okay. Spaniard. okay. 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 <laughs> but I you mean, like, you like going and traveling to all these places and seeing these, how do these, uh, courses, of course, when you're playing, you know, at that level, you're probably playing the best courses. How would you say that compares to, you know, some of these other courses like Pebble Beach and some of these other top courses that you've been to? Well, I mean, it's it's crazy the amount of money. Like, in if you want to talk about income, I'm not going to get political or anything like that about the U.S., but you want to talk about income disparities, you go to, like, South America and other countries, and it's like in Bogota, Colombia, you either, like, are the – part of the cartel or you own like the cell phone company or you're like, you have no money. Like there's no middle class. Mm-hmm. Um, you go down to like in, in Chile, it's a little better, but it's still like people got a lot of money. People don't have a whole lot of money. And it's like a, just a few people in the middle. Um, and those golf courses would be like a hundred, 150, 
$200,000 to join, like American dollars. Wow. Which mm-hmm. is just nuts. And that's where we were playing is like the good places. I mean, in Chile, they had ball boys on the red clay tennis courts for the members. Wow. Like just wild stuff like that. And then you go to when I went to Malaysia, in Kuala Lumpur, mm-hmm. it's just like top notch. I mean, there's people everywhere, like just whatever you need. You need somebody to just, you know, wipe off your shoes or somebody there to do it. It's just you can't, you can't hide it. And so you did that at a, you know, younger period in your life and you probably really, really enjoyed that. Got a lot of experience, but what is like, was there any do's and don'ts as a caddy? Like if uh, you're, you're caddying for a pro, like for me, when I think of somebody caddying, like somebody, okay, give me the yardage, tell me what club to hit. What's it like with a pro? Do you do that? Or is it just like, you know, psychological, kind of like you said with your boy, uh, you know, Hey, if you hit that club better play that club. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it is game planning and knowing how to communicate. Because, like, even you two guys, like, I might say something to you, be stunned. Yeah. And I might say the same thing to T, but it'd be delivered in two different ways. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, you know, T, hey, you can hit it long on this hole and it's safe. Right. And it's like, I could say to T, it's like, hey, if if you're behind the hole, like, you're okay, you know, but short's not, not terrible. Mm-hmm. kind of thing and one of the things is like you don't want to get into where you're like hey don't hit it here Got and it. you're like that's the last thing i want to think about is where i don't want to hit it right you know? yeah so would you, as, as somebody at you know you're caddying and I, I would imagine like with most of these guys outside of uh tyler told bob frazier by the way ryan last week he hates caddies yeah i well here's the problem i have with you never had a good one then well, I've had one good one. Uh, I was lucky enough to play Pine Valley and had a unbelievable uh, caddy in a great experience. I had no business being on that course, by the way. But I will say, like, the thing that bothers me is, like, I know my game better than anybody. And so I know my comfort level. And I'm not good enough golfer. Like you said, like, hey, don't hit it there. I'm like, well, hey, buddy, listen, um, going I don't want to <laughs> listen. I don't want to hit it there either. But there's a good high likely probability with my skill level that that damn ball is going to end up right in that spot now. And it's the farthest thing from what I want to do. But with, you know, with that, would you study a course more than the golfer or have the course ready for him? Or is the golfer doing that beforehand? Yeah, I mean, the yardage books are good on the tour. I would say like my normal week is Monday was a travel day. Cause you're coming from whatever event, wherever it was. And it's, you know, it sucked when you're coming, making the West coast swing back to the Florida swing. Cause it's like red eye landing at 7am and you feel like shit. And it's like, all right, we got a pro-am or whatever it is on Monday. Yeah. yeah. It's about as, it feels about as good as being hung over after a Sunday at Goodfellas, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but then Tuesdays was a big day because on the PJ tour on Wednesdays is reserved for guys in the big pro-am, like the big yeah. dogs. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so Tuesday was like open to everybody and we had the yardage books and I would go out like early on Tuesday. I might, if we didn't start till like nine or 10 o'clock in the morning play, like I would go out at like six. So you beat the first. golfer there. Yeah. And I try to walk the golf course if I'd never been there uh-huh. and just like figure out like, Hey, what, you know, what are we going to do here? What do we think on his game? Um, and just kind of go from there and kind of f- formulate a game plan myself to figure out where we might be and then figure out when we play, like what he sees and what he thinks. Cause that's what it all, all matters is what the shot that they're seeing. 
Mm-hmm. You'll see guys on TV and, and and like not not throwing them under the bus or anything like that. They're probably good caddies, but uh, the worst thing they is like, hey man, I see you know hitting a draw here, like ten yard draw to this flag. Well, like maybe he was looking at a fade, maybe he was looking at a little low runner. Yeah. Now you've just clouded like his mind with like mm-hmm. another thought. Yeah, and you know one of my things is this sort is of a speak like, when spoken to thing, man. Like you just sort of keep it in the bag until they ask for it. Dude, it's, I mean, at times I've been out there when, I mean, when Hood was sending it, when Bryce was sending it, I mean, I felt like it was a perfect game. Yeah. Like, yeah. I didn't yeah. say a word. Just keep rolling. I, I had one of those in high school, right? With the Croatan Cougars? Croatan Cougars, sure did. <laughs> I, I guess the other question I have I is. Tyler just moved away from that one, man. It was, my, it was my time to shine, but yeah, I got you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I did have one. Man, I got all these questions because I'm Keep so going. curious about, right. like, what a what a golf caddy. Like, how do you get them prepared? Like, what's it like? Me, me, we're just average jokes because I remember the first time I opened up a yardage book out of my out of my golf club. I'm like, what? This looked like a math book. And so, like, but th- that's beside the question. Do you you ever have like do golfers you ever see like you know I, I would never well I've heard this one time from a basketball player have they you ever like have a golfer drink uh alcohol before a match to kind of ease a nerve or is that uh you know illegal or what well I think on the tour uh I don't know that it's illegal but they can find you and they would classify it as conduct unbecoming of a professional. <clears throat> I will say we play with John Daly in Louisiana on the nationwide tour. And this is when he was, he was uh, off the wagon back. I don't know. I, I messed that up. Whatever it is. He wasn't drinking at the time. And I'm telling you, he, I was like, this is the day. This is the day I'm going to see this guy. He's going to be boozing it out here. You know, this is Louisiana. It's a web.com event. Like nobody gives a shit. And I was just waiting all day and not once that I seen him. I was like hawking him, but he crushed about eight dikes in 18 holes in an Arkansas Tervis tumbler. Mm-hmm. Um, so to answer your question, no, I haven't seen anybody on that level um, drink before round. No, there's probably some guys that have been hung over and playing. Mm-hmm. Um, there were some guys that would, that would go out heavy in the night, out three, four, Five in the morning, tee off at eight o'clock in the morning. Jesus, and just that's a send talent. It. Yeah, I mean, they I were could some never senders. do that. That's a life skill. I mean, I guess that, like you said, you keep your thoughts minimal because you're in so much pain, or you just—I don't know how you get through the round. I mean, a gallon of God. you know coffee, even dehydrates even more. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, a, I think it's like the flu game, right? He's just like, I'm just trying to throw up out here. Just think about getting 18. Just, I mean, that, yeah. that'll, that'll really make you put the last shot behind you. You know what I mean? Because all the shots yeah. you put behind you the night before, I guess. <laughs> but, but the no. last thing at that level where you're at is like, you see these golfers, you know, you see so many in, in sports, you see so many people that it is their dream to make that next step and to get their, you know, their, their tour card or whatever it is for golf. And it just seems like they get so close and sometimes they'll get it and they regress. And you just see like the, the process of them, you know, going to the European tour, kind of working their way back and just grinding. And I've always respected athletes that do it for the love of the, like the love of the sport and because they love it. And even though they've done it longer 
and you can tell people like they're just grinding because they love it. And I guarantee like at your level, like where some of the guys that you've had, you've had the grinders that just get so close and it's almost worse because you can almost grab it and kind of get that taste of what it feels like. Have you ever seen what I'm trying to get to is, have you ever seen somebody just like, just get you, you thought had so much natural talent, but put so much pressure on themselves, not to call anybody out, but just to grind it and almost get there, but they're still kind of doing it, doing it. Yeah. I mean, there's some guys that we played with uh, probably on the web that maybe made it up and then got like, you know, didn't keep their card and are back. And man, you want to talk about a culture shock. It's like, you've been grinding your whole life to get this, this point, And now you've made it, you made it to the pinnacle, right? Everybody wants to play mm-hmm. on a PJ tour and yeah. that's the top. And you get there as a player, you know, each week it's, it's a Lexus or it's a Acura or it's the Mercedes or like the Hyundai Genesis, like whatever it is, it's, it, you ain't riding around on a civic. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they're giving it to you for free. You're staying at these big four-star hotels, all this good stuff. And then you lose your car and then you're back to like, well, I'm back at the days then, maybe a Hampton Inn if I'm lucky. I'm renting my own car. And, you know, some of those guys, like, they get up and then they come back down and then they never make it. I mean, yeah. I, I've seen, like, I mean, one that comes to mind is, like, Steve Wheatcroft. Like, he was a grinder. He would like keep his card, lose his card, keep his card, lose his card, keep his card, lose his card. And it's like, he's done. He's gone. Yeah. And so for you know. people, yeah. So people like I've, I've gone over to China and kind of played overseas and people are always like, yeah, why do you do that? Well, you know, here's the thing is like, you know, and is, is like, it's like, um, you know, what are they going to like? It's not like, what do you do now once golf's over? But, you know, some people enjoy that that waking up tea time at like nine and then preparing the grind. And even if the money's not what it is, but you're still close to that level. Um, I would say um, it's still a great feeling, whether you're pulling up in a civic, you're still going to the course and you're doing what you love. And it is, I mean, it's not as good as flying in a Learjet and then playing pebble, but I mean, I mean, it's still, the fundamental of playing golf for a living seems, seems pretty cool. No, I mean, it's, it's awesome. I mean, when you really think about it and like, that's what I would, like there'd be times where you miss five or six cuts in a row. Cause like caddies, like you would get like a, a, a salary, like mm-hmm. you're really not making any money unless you make the cut. Like that's the fluff, right? That's the icing. You miss like five or six cuts in a row. You're like, God, what am I going to do? Like, is he going to fire me? Like, man, I'm going to find a job. I'm going to go get work at a desk and all that stuff. And then, in the midst of like that 30 second, all those thoughts going through my mind. I was like, you know what? I'm out here carrying a bag amongst the best golfers in the world. Like it's pretty lucky, you know? And I think a lot of those guys that stay out there, that grind and they may go back and they end up making it back to the big tour later or whatever. Like they get it. Like that's the biggest thing is they get it. They're like, they realize how fortunate and how lucky they've been mm-hmm. to play a game to provide for their families and whatever. And like, those are the guys that are the good guys. Yeah. You know, they, they understand it. Like the other guys that like are always bitching and moaning. They never get it and they're never going to get it. And they don't yeah. understand that like the game is bigger than them. And the people yeah. that understand that are usually the ones that are like out there mm-hmm. in some capacity, whether it's the, the web or corn fairy down or the big tour. Which yeah. is being a big home you know, just out there, just slanging it down just, the, uh, yeah. down the tree line. <laughs> 
thanks for coming on, Balkum. I don't want yeah, to take dude. up your all night. I know this you guys have been yeah. uh, some kids. But... I mean, I've got plenty. I got plenty of stories. So, we'll, you know, if, if you we'll need have me you for back part two, we're we'll, probably going to be we'll begging for some two. guests yeah. at some point. We'll need to play golf with you at some point when you oh, get back. Yeah. That's yeah. when we really start I, to listen, get our stride. I, we're going to have some content creators out. You, we have people following us around. We'll go out there and we'll all just kick Cam's ass. That's it. Uh, <laughs> I will. I will tell you this, and I'll tell you this. You know, I'm a little washed up in the caddy game, but I still I still know what I need to do. I guarantee you, and I don't guarantee many things. I go out and watch you play. I guarantee you I can help save you some shots if I caddy for you. Buddy, that is like for me, that's like taking the car, all right, and dropping it on the ground and saying, hey, man, just step over that, all right? But hey, listen. you know me, big dog. I will, I will take any damn – Advice. Listen, the only time I set the bar, bar high is when I do the limbo. I'm you know like what I'm saying? the Tiger Woods of not being Tiger Woods is basically where my we, game we, falls. We went through this whole pod and didn't even talk about, about about the big cat. I was going to ask day. how you know. I was going to ask some Tiger questions, but I bet some we, of the few folks that listening, if they made it this far, they're probably like, God damn, this thing's longer than a round of golf. So yeah, I mean, I can talk to you, dude. I can talk to you all night, man. And 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 seriously, it's uh, it's been a real pleasure, man. We really appreciate your story. It's been awesome, dude. So I think a part two is definitely in the works, um, man. We're gonna get we're gonna get MJ on this pod. You know, we're gonna get Roy on this pod. So I mean, you're in, you're in an elite company right now. I mean, um, you know, unfortunately, about to be someday. Well, I mean, not unfortunately. You know, um, I think B. Fraze and I are trailblazers. We're just paving the path for those guys. That's right, man. Dogs. Someday people are gonna look back and be like, "Wow, man, those guys must have been a lot more famous than I thought they were." But uh, <laughs> but serious, bro. I I old I, boomerang, I, old boomerang, Bob. Man, <laughs> we gotta get a hard box, man. And then lastly, uh. Nah, nobody knows that I'm B-stunting, Johnny. I remember when Twitter yeah. first came out. This is one of the things I wanted to uh, briefly mention. But when Twitter came out, it was a big deal, right? And I was struggling to think of a good username. And I, I'll never forget, we were in the stunt finder, which is a pathfinder that Balkan had <laughs> at Alta Springs. And we're riding down the street. And I was like, dude, what do you think I should make my Twitter name? He just looks at me as if he just had had it written down for ever. He said, be stunting and so it was man for a long there time then i got it became a professional you know i had to uh you know i had to back off of it but you, you uh, had to get your linkedin headshot on there too uh, so. <laughs> yeah, exactly exactly well look man this is my space yeah exactly my body, <laughs> old tom man wondering how he's doing but uh Bob, man thank you uh hope to see you again soon to all the listeners out there thanks for bearing with us uh we'll be back next probably week or so it's bachelor you watch the Bachelor, Balkum? I I can honestly say, I do not. You're Man, fired. you're missing it. You're missing I, love. Everybody I, I deserves know, it. I know. I, I'll do I the recap for us. I'll do the hard work. I'll do the grind. We'll go uh, watch it because we were we were recording this while it was playing. So obviously we're going to go watch it. Game plan. Mm-hmm. We'll be back next week. Thanks, Balkum. We'll Thanks, Balkum. Buddy, talk to you. Look, look, guys, enjoyed it, man. Glad, glad you had me on here, and uh, y'all have a good one, man. All right, have a good one.